Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss spirit podcast with Ben Garrett and David Johnson. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's David Johnson at Rebels247. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com. That's an affiliate of 247 Sports. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And we're also available on SoundCloud. No longer on Rebel Sports Radio, but SoundCloud. Simply search Talk of Champions on SoundCloud. You'll find us there as well. David, what's up, man? Well, so far so good in the new year. Uh, you know, lots of things happening around the Ole Miss football program. The Rebels had their first uh, team meeting, so to speak, on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, the players that are back for intercession. And uh, from what I'm being told about that, the mood in that room, very, very serious. Very, very serious. The message is, hope you guys enjoyed your December off. It's the last December you're going to have off. So, uh that's kind of setting the tone moving ahead for this Ole Miss football program where there's a lot of things swimming around it right now in terms of uh, coaching staff developments and, of course, uh, the run-up to the February National Signing Day. Coaches' conventions this weekend, Calvin McGee, Football Scoop, reporting that he's in line to become a member of Matt Luke's staff, as Chuck reported early Thursday morning. That's not an official hire yet, but it looks like he's most certainly a leading candidate not disputing football scoop at all. I'm just simply saying it's not official yet if if it is done. But Calvin McGee appears to be in position potentially to join the staff. And if he did join the staff, would come as a tight ends coach, replacing Mo Harris, who left for Liberty. So a lot to cover today. It's a mailbag edition. A lot of questions. The podcast brought to you by El Agave Mexican Grill. What better way? to ring in the new year than with the best Tex-Mex in town. And if you live in Oxford or New Albany, your stop is El Agave Mexican Grill for the best food, drinks, and atmosphere. At El Agave, there's top-shelf Mexican food in a cantina at both locations, and with a warm and inviting atmosphere, you and your family can make yourself at home. It's the best Mexican food around that starts with high-quality ingredients and careful preparation. The kitchen gets busy early every morning because El Agave starts from scratch every day, making fresh salsa, boiling chilies for their homemade red and green chili dishes, slow-cooking their lean cuts of beef and pork, and then pouring the broth off into their homemade sauces. There's nothing like having a full house of folks over for a great Mexican fiesta, so come over to El Agave in Oxford and or New Albany, 2305 West Jackson Avenue in Oxford, 650 Park Plaza in New Albany. You won't find better Mexican food or margaritas anywhere else. Try the street tacos. That's my favorite. Stay for the food and the experience. El Agave Mexican Grill. First and foremost, David, Ole Miss basketball this weekend opens SEC play. At Vanderbilt, if you haven't paid attention, 7.30 in Nashville. So make sure to tune in for that. 
Going to have some uh, basketball content later today. Um, Davis covering a bunch of football recruiting reaction to Rich Rod. Great story with Grant Tisdale. Where are things right now, briefly, before we get started? Um, just a quick synopsis recruiting-wise for Ole Miss. Well, you know, there there are still spots in this class left to fill. I, I would anticipate most of those remaining spots are going to end up going uh, to players on the on the defensive side of the football. Um you know, that's uh, obviously where the where the pressing needs are. And, uh, you know, right now, this is this is a group that you've got 25 who've already signed their letters of intent. You've got four committed that have not signed yet. Uh, there's a little bit of drama in those four commits that have not signed yet. Uh, of course, we'll miss picking up the commitment from Brandon Mack, the uh, defensive end out of Montgomery, Alabama last week. He's going to sign. All right, but when you look at the other three of the four commitments that have not signed letters of intent, and and they've always planned to sign in February, uh, you know Caleb Etienne is offensive lineman out of New Orleans. That is an academic situation. Uh, he feels good about where he's at. I talked to him right before the holidays after the fall semester. Uh, had, had ended at his high school. He feels very good about the probability that uh, he's going to be where he needs to be on the academic front. Uh, that's not saying that's going to happen. I'm just telling you how Caleb Etienne feels about that. Uh, fully plans to sign with Ole Miss in February. Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver out of Brandon, Mississippi, and he is a major part of this class. He did not sign during the December early signing period, and he has suitors, uh, namely Mississippi State, Florida State, State in Georgia, um, and it's going to be a battle, I think, for Ole Miss to hang on to him. I think they will because of his relationship with Jacob Peeler, which is longstanding and, and is a, a very solid relationship. I think Mingo is going to end up staying in this class, but Ole Miss is going to have to fend off Mississippi State and Florida State and maybe even Georgia for his services. The other guy that that is committed that did not sign in December is Jerry Ely, and um you know, it, it's kind of kind of a, a strange situation because usually when you have the number four running back in the country in your class, you're pretty darn excited. He's also the number five overall prospect in the entire 2019 class, regardless of position, Ben. But uh, everybody's enthusiasm on Jerion Ely is kind of kind of tamped down simply because many believe when Major League Baseball holds its draft in June, Jerion Ely is going to sign a multi-million dollar contract. He's projected to be a first-round pick. He's the number 18 overall prospect in that Major League Baseball first-year players draft. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a very big vibe, and, and understandably so, that Jerion Ely will not play college football. Uh, that he's going to play baseball. Now, is that lock solid? No, it, it's not. Obviously not. But, uh, you know, there are still some other colleges from a football standpoint chasing Jerion Ely as well. And, you know, there's no guarantee that he's still going to sign on the dotted line with Ole Miss come, come February. Mississippi State is very much involved in his recruitment. And he's made some comments at the Under Armour All-Star game uh, this past week that that really make you wonder if he's going to stay in this Ole Miss class across the finish line, sign in February, and make it an issue in June whether or not he's going to play baseball or football for Ole Miss. Clemson's also involved in his recruitment as well. He's been out there a couple of times. Uh, Dabo Sweeney wants him. Uh, so that's kind of the stage on those guys. And then there's some other guys Ole Miss is chasing, trying to strengthen up the defensive side of the football. Uh, but uh, th th we're not going to be void of excitement and drama over the next several weeks leading up to the February 6th National Signing Day. 
And David and Yancey will have you covered on the Ole Miss Spirit, OleMissSpirit.com. I'm sure we're going to have many more recruiting questions in this mailbag edition of Talk of Champions. I have not looked at the questions yet. We're just going to run through them and answer them. We do these every so often. It had been too long. So today, the perfect opportunity to do another Talk of Champions mailbag. And we start with Boomji Boomji on Twitter, at Boomji Boomji. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Why was Dawson Knox so underutilized? Was it Phil Longo's scheme or Jordan Tiamu just not making the correct reads and using the middle of the field? It's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, Phil Longo, he, he doesn't call plays for, for specific players. And the responsibility falls to the quarterback to find the open receiver, the fight to, to get to his first or second read. The problem was that Dawson Knox never seemed to be a primary read, like he was the first or second option, meaning that Jordan, who really struggled to get off of his first and second read, never really got to Dawson Knox when scanning the field uh, very consistently. I feel like in six years, Ole Miss fans will be sitting in their chairs on Sunday afternoons, and Dawson Knox will be having a great game for whoever. And they'll go, wait a second, oh, Dawson Knox, yeah, he was – that's the six-year pro who was on Ole Miss's team at the same time as A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. My God, they, that how was that offense so bad? Well, yeah, you know, from a production standpoint, it wasn't bad. But the bottom line was when the field got For shorter. For Dawson Knox, it was. I mean. uh, well, the field got shorter, uh, the uh, – that things dried up for this offense, and uh, I think that's because of the premise that it was designed about chasing grass. There's 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 less space to chase when you're inside your opponent's 20 yard line, and I think it really showed up as an Achilles as far as Phil Longo's Ole Miss offense went. Dawson Knox chose to go to the NFL. I was not surprised. A lot of people were. They, I mean, a lot of people looked at his production numbers and go, you know, how how can a guy with 12 catches? Uh, declare for the NFL draft. Well, number one, it's not necessarily a strong year for tight ends in the NFL draft. Right. Uh, and number two, there were no guarantees for Knox coming back that he would be utilized enough in this offense. And of course, it's a different offense now, but he didn't know that when he was going through this decision-making process uh, that, um, you know, he would have an opportunity to be utilized enough to make a difference in his draft status. So I think the guy made the right choice. He got his degree in December. Uh, so he completed that part of uh, his mission as a college athlete. And it, it was time for him to uh, to move on. So uh, I'm, I'm like you, Ben. I think five, six years down the road. Uh, you're going to see Dawson Knox uh, be an impact player. And it's probably not going to take five or six years. But you know, he's going to be an impact player, I think, on this next level. And um that's why he left. And uh, now Octavius Cooley, obviously, is going to have to be a big part of this offense and moving ahead and maybe even a guy like Jason Pellerin. So that's going to be a fun position to watch in the spring to see how all of that shakes out. I'm with you. Dawson Knox's decision to turn pro was not a surprise based, if nothing else, solely on the information you and I were getting in regards to what Dawson was thinking and was, and was wanting to do. So we tried to tell people on this podcast that's what was probably going to happen. That's what did happen. The only player now that Ole Miss is really theoretically waiting on is Alex Givens, but the more time goes by, the more likely it seems that he's good to come back for, for well, another year, right? And you bring up Alex Givens. I, I do want to point this out. I mentioned earlier in this podcast that they had their first kind of quasi-team meeting on Wednesday night of this week. Uh, Alex Givens was not there, did not come back to uh, start intercession. Now, I do not read anything in, into that at all because half the team did not come back to start intercession. They're spending a, a couple of more weeks with their families, but, but – uh, 
just for the record, Givens did not come back to campus first opportunity to come back, uh, but only about 40 guys did. When will the date be to where we'll know whether or not Alex Givens is going to be back or not? It feels yeah, like, I think, like January 15th or something. Yeah, I think January 15th is your deadline to declare for the NFL draft. Now, look, all indications I'm getting is that Alex Givens plans to come back at this point. And that's some rel- relatively new intel right there, fresh intel, uh, that he's, he's expected to be back. Colin Brister at Colin Brister on Twitter. Works with us at the Ole Miss Spirit, but also a loyal Talk of Champions listener. He had a number of different questions, so we're going to have to hit these quickly. Number one, what is your first sports memory? Wow. Man, I'm going to tell you what. It would be uh, really the first one that sinks in is sitting in the living room on a Sunday afternoon watching the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers play in one of their their several Super Bowl meetings back in the 1970s. I remember watching Roger Staubach and Terry Bradshaw duel it out. I was probably five, six years old. I remember being four years old. I don't remember the players involved. I only remember the game being the Cowboys and the Redskins. And I was sitting with my Uncle Rick, and I said to him, I like both the Cowboys and the Redskins, Uncle Rick. And he said to me, <laughs> You can't do that. You can't like the Redskins if you're going to be a Cowboys fan. And I have been a Cowboys fan ever since, further explaining why I'm so batshit crazy about the Dallas Cowboys. So, yes, that's my number one sports memory. Don't remember any of the players, just remember that. What is your best sports memory? Man, yeah, as a fan, me, game seven of the 1991 NLCS, Franco Cabrera with the with the hit to um, to left field that scored Sid Bream from second base and sent the Atlanta Braves to the World Series. Yep, that was going to be my number one when Sid slid. Or it would have been uh, in fourth grade when the Cowboys beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl and I won $20 off my fourth grade guidance counselor. That was probably one of my favorite memories. What is your worst sports memory? Mine's easy. It's fourth and 25. Uh, fourth and 25. Uh, I, I can see how that makes the list. Uh, I, the first thing that pops in my mind is Laquan Treadwell's injury crossing the goal line and the subsequent fumble that cost, uh, ultimately cost Ole Miss a trip to Atlanta. Yeah, that one popped into my head too. Another one was when Tony Romo fumbled the uh, field goal against the Seahawks when I was in Disney World watching it with my brother and the – complete science in which we went and played the Simpsons video game so that I could recover and not be angry. That was fun. Number four, what channel is the game on? That's a inside message board kind of joke. Number five, what time is the game? Another one. Six, how many people were involved with JFK's murder? Are you going with a lone gunman belief? Nope, not at all. Never Neither. have thought that. Nope, it's no way. And seven, did we really go to the moon? Yes. And eight, does Alabama cheat? Everybody cheats. James N. Robinson how do you allow minus 15 yards rushing and still lose? Uh, I don't know. Ask Mississippi State. How does one rationalize an 8-5 and five record with we only lost to good teams that beat good teams, so we're a good team? I don't know. Eight and f- I don't cover Mississippi State, so I don't talk about them, but 8-5 and five with that team seems like a disappointment, David. It, it really does. I'm just looking at the, uh, is, uh, any type of college football team. That was a lot of talent on that Mississippi State yeah. team. 8-5 and five is uh, that's tough. 
Well, you had a quarterback coming back like Nick Fitzgerald. Let's be honest. They had a very, very good offensive line. They had a couple of really good running backs, not so much in the wide receiver department, but they had all of those things working on the offensive side of the football. And a guy like Joe Moorhead, who was coming from running a Penn State system where they could they could line up and run the football. Of course, he did have Saquon Barkley there, uh, which he did not have at Mississippi State, but he had weapons on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, look, that defensive line was as good as anybody's in the country. Okay, and and honestly, that's a top 10 defense right there. So Mississippi State fans feeling a little bit dejected about going at eight and five. I get it. I understand that from a talent standpoint. Look, you laid an egg against Iowa in the bowl game. Uh, Iowa was a good football team. They were better prepared. Um, and, and ultimately it showed that's how you lose to Iowa when uh, you don't allow them any positive rushing yards. Yeah, that's a meaningless scrimmage uh, or exhibition. So I don't really worry about the outback ball the experience was worth it more than anything else if you're mississippi state i'd be more angry about like losses to kentucky and things like that that's what would make me angry oh but, kentucky kentucky proved out to be no a pretty, kentucky's a good team but not with that mississippi state team was supposed to be at least partially or at least putting off the front that it was competing with alabama for first in the west this year even though no one's going to compete with alabama that's what the expectation was for that team that's why i would expect even though kentucky was yes very good this year to be in and win that game. You're supposed to win that game if you have one of the best teams constructed in Mississippi State history. But again, I don't cover that team, so far be it for me to say anything. But yeah, I I don't know. But James Robinson's last question, number three, where does one purchase the maroon-colored lenses clearly modeled by at Copaya Dog? Copaya and I go way back as far as Twitter beef, and he's an idiot. BJ Smith, which of these two is the most iconic American staple, PB&J or classic turkey ham sandwich? And what is your beverage of choice to have with your choice? Mine is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I like purple Kool-Aid. Yeah, I'm going with PBJ, and I'll wash it down with the Diet Coke. At RebelFan68, if you were Kermit Davis in his first year, would you rather be a fringe team that made the NCAA tournament but lost handedly in the first round or make the NIT and go all the way to MSG in the championship? You always want to be in the dance. Yeah, You only have a chance if you're in the dance. It doesn't matter how you get there or what happens once you do get there. The end result always is, and the goal is, to make the dance, period. Hang the banner. Do you hang the banner for every NCAA tournament appearance? You I don't miss you do, I think. better believe you do. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't care if you're at Duke or Kentucky. Uh, it's special to make the NCAA tournament, and uh, yeah, you hang that banner. Absolutely. Yeah, the NIT, you, you do hang banners for like making it to the NIT Final Four, but it just it doesn't carry nearly the weight as making the NCAA tournament. It doesn't carry even remotely the weight of making the NCAA tournament. True. At Ole Miss Sports 67, is Ole Miss going to pursue any grad transfers or any transfers for that matter? Any chance they try to get in the game with Justin Fields, he seems like he would thrive in Rich Rod's offense. I don't think Justin Fields is going to consider Ole Miss, but grad transfer or transfer market, David, is Ole Miss involved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, Matt said that uh, on the December National Signing Day that, look, they were going to scour the country for anybody that could help them, whether they're post-grad transfers or transfers that have to set a year. Uh, The the problem is, you know, there's a limited pool of those guys out there, and then that pool is even reduced further to the guys who want to continue their careers at Ole Miss. Uh, You know, you get – and then you got to win a battle for them. 
so, uh, but yeah, it would not be surprising if you ended up adding a transfer or two. The, all, those things don't often happen on National Signing Day. That could carry on into, uh, you know, March, April, or May before you find out there's going to be a transfer that's going to land here in Oxford, Mississippi. But you better believe they're looking for them. Absolutely. Located at 1801 West Jackson Avenue, Suite D103 in Oxford, Jackson Beer Company provides Oxford with handcrafted customer service and superior beer knowledge in the northern Mississippi market. Open seven days a week. Stop by and see Alan Jackson and the gang Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. until 8 p.m., Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. until 9 p.m., and on Sundays from noon until 5. At Jackson Beer Company, we help you handcraft your next event, whether it's a wedding, Greek event, office party, fundraiser, or other special special event, we offer discounts when you purchase in bulk. At Jackson Beer Company, it is our vision to provide Oxford and Northern Mississippi with handcrafted customer service and superior beer knowledge. We offer 10 different local and limited release beers on our growler station, so you will be able to enjoy draft beer at your home or at your next event. That's Jackson Beer Company, located at 1801 West Jackson Avenue, just off the Ole Miss campus in Oxford. Stop by and see them or give them a call today at 662-638- 3642. Jackson Beer Company is a proud supporter of Ole Miss Athletics. Uh, that kind of follows up with Hunter Hewley, who says, is Ole Miss going to recruit Chester Graves again? Any oh, other sign-in-place guys that signed with Ole Miss previously <laughs> left on the board? Uh, you know what? I, I'm sure if Chester Graves wanted to come to Oxford, Mississippi, they'd find a place for him. Uh, he's been up in Iowa playing Juco ball ever since his high school days when he, he failed to qualify. Um, he is the most talked about guy who never made it to campus in terms of people asking questions about him. I, I, I don't think Chester Graves is going to end up at Ole Miss, and I'll just leave it at that. Stephen Willis at the Stephen Willis on Twitter. Tell me the future. Jorah Mormont, Jamie Lannister, and Matt Corral. Jorah Mormont is going to die protecting um, Daenerys Targaryen. Jamie Lannister is going to kill his sister Cersei. And Matt Corral is going to be an Ollie caliber player by the end of his Ole Miss career. What's your prediction for the future of Matt Corral? Yeah, you know what? I think Matt Corral is uh, is going to be a dynamic quarterback for Ole Miss. You know, the one thing I think, look, I'm not worried about Matt Corral's ability to run a run an offense. I'm not worried about his ability to throw the football. I'm not worried about his ability to tuck it and run and improvise out there. The thing Matt's going to have to do is control Matt. On, on that field. Matt, Matt Corral is is a warrior. He's cut out of that cloth, okay? He's going to play quarterback at Ole Miss like he like a middle linebacker. All right, you got a little taste of that in the Egg Bowl last year when uh, you know the ruckus broke out at the end of the third quarter. Who was the guy over there jumping in the midst of all of it and taking up for his teammates, which I give him credit for. I gave him credit for that. I'm not criticizing him for that. But but Matt's going to have to control Matt's uh, temperament a little bit better uh, than what we saw in the Egg Bowl. And I understand it's a rivalry game. And again, I wrote a column the very next day applauding him for having the guts, courage, and the moxie to get out there and uh, and get in the midst of that stuff. But but you can't lose Matt Corral's ability to run your offense due to uh, due to due to a, a, a an unsportsmanlike conduct call or anything like that. Look, I like the dude. I'd want him in my foxhole. I think he's going to have a terrific career. But that's the thing. That's the thing to watch with Matt Corral. You know, if he's hit late, he can't get up throwing a punch back on a 300-pound defensive lineman. 
But you don't want to rein in the emotion too much that it takes no, away from no. who he is as a player. Because no, that, that's I, what makes him good, I, right? I, I, that's why That's why I said, you know, he's a guy I'd want in my foxhole. I mean, th- there's no doubt about it. He's a guy I'd want running my offense. But don't Matt Corral doesn't need to hurt Matt Corral. And, uh, look, he's an emotional guy. And some of you old-time Ole Miss fans will remember John Forcade. Uh, I think he's going to play the quarterback position with that kind of temperament. Look. He, all due respect to John Forcade, who I, I enjoy playing. Matt Corral's more talented than John Forcade uh, at, at this point in his career. But but I think you're going to get that kind of temperament, that kind of emotion out of Matt Corral. It's just who he is. It's how he's wired. At Ole Miss Sports 67, have you heard anything about Brant Lawless? He's a four-star defensive tackle for Memphis that has yet to sign anywhere. Uh, Brent Lawless is not from Memphis. He's from Nashville. He signed with Tennessee in the 2018 class and is kind of floating around out there. I haven't heard any kind of mention, uh, uh, any kind of, let me say, serious mention of Brent Lawless with Ole Miss right now. At W. Dunphy, what will it take to turn Ole Miss into a perennial SEC West power? Beating Bama was fun, but we have always struggled with depth, consistency, dissolve USM and MSU's football programs, and become the only D1 program in Mississippi just spitballing. Just, well, yeah, if Mississippi consolidated and had just one school, it would compete with the Alabamas of the world as far as year-in and year-out consistency as an SEC West power. But that's never going to happen. So how, what will it take to turn Ole Miss into a perennial SEC West power? Ole Miss will never be a perennial SEC West power. But there's no excuse for it to not, at the very least, be competing for seven eight wins seemingly every single season and then every two to three years have that 10 nine or 10 win season where it's competing uh for an sec west title that was proven with the run through 2015 that Ole Miss has the capability to at least every two three years compete for the sec west Ole Miss was a game away from going to atlanta so you're never going to see Ole Miss in that way seemingly because uh certain teams as far as the recruiting trail, are protected in what they can do. Uh, Others are punished for the activities of others, even though all teams do the same stuff. So if you want Ole Miss to be a perennial SEC West power, well, it's never going to happen. But if you did, you'd want the playing field to be even for everyone to acknowledge that everyone's doing the same stuff. Just let them do it and stop trying to uh, selectively police particular programs based on your preconceived notions about what that program should be in the status and um, level of play of that particular program. So that's how it would, it would happen. But Ole Miss is never going to be that. It just does not have the resources of an Alabama, of an LSU. Well, but it me- certainly can compete for the SEC West on uh, uh, every three-year basis. All right, let, let me knock, knock this, what I think is a fallacy down. Okay, and, and I think if, if I'm remembering right, the question began, what if Mississippi had only one Power 5 football team? All right, and that, that goes to kind of insinuate that then, you know, all the players in the state of Mississippi, uh, you know, would go to that one school and, and then Mississippi's SEC team would be able to compete on a consistent basis with, let's just say, Alabama. Uh, and I, I think that's a little bit of a fallacy. I think things are changing. Uh, where state boundaries do not mean as much as they used to, say, a decade ago or 20 years ago because of how college football has now changed. Look, And it's not like I, kids historically I, in Mississippi have stayed home. Uh, that, well, that's true, too. But but my point being, look, I, I'm 
I'm 47 years old. Okay. When I was growing up, you know, you were going to be a fan of your in-state school because that's generally who you got to see play on TV when you got to see them play on TV. And it was, that's who you were going to go see live and in person. Uh, There weren't but two or three games a Saturday on back then. Your team, uh, particularly if you were an Ole Miss fan, was going to be on TV two, three times a year. So you had to get in the car and drive to Oxford or drive to Jackson to see the Rebels play. And naturally you were going to grow up a fan of that team. Now, every team in the SEC, from the time you're three, four, five years old, they're all on television, every one of their games, every single Saturday. So if you're a kindergartner living in, I don't know, let's say Shelby, Mississippi, and you like the color combination of black and gold, there's a high probability, a pretty dang good chance you might grow up to be a Vanderbilt fan. Uh, you know, the, the the world is a lot smaller now, and so is the, the Southeastern Conference. Everybody's exposed to everybody pretty much on an equal basis, unless you're living in Oxford or Starkville or Lexington or Tuscaloosa. Uh, um, you know, you can flip the TV on pretty much any day of the week and watch uh, watch something on the Tennessee Volunteers or the Missouri Tigers, no matter what part of Mississippi you're living in. So, And you look at this 2019 class, Ben, state's number one player went to Georgia. Okay, the state's number four players committed to Alabama. The state's number six player has, is, is, is an Auburn signee. Uh, you go on and on. Number seven, right here in Oxford, Mississippi, Brandon Turnage goes to Alabama. The number 10 player in the state goes to Auburn. Number 13 player right now currently committed to Georgia. That's John Rice Plumley. I don't think that commitment's going to hold up. The number 15 player, K.J. Jefferson, uh, a 35-minute drive from the front gates of Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. He's going to be the quarterback at the University of Arkansas. Arkansas, the number 16 player to LSU. You get my point. You go on and on and on and down down this list. And uh, I, I'm not sure those state boundaries, those those lines on the map mean so much anymore about being able to bottle up the talent and keeping it at home. Yeah, the, the idea that if you just had one school that you'd sign all the talent, in-state players have not proven any type of loyalty to stay into the in-state schools, and they shouldn't. They should do what they feel is best for them. But you see Alabama or LSU in Louisiana at least have a penchant for keeping players in-state. Ole Miss and Mississippi State have historically struggled at that, and that wouldn't just simply be solved by having one school. Still, uh, it does kind of seem frustrating that a state like Mississippi – if it realized a long time ago what it had and what it could do with one school um, as a major athletics power, um, how interesting it would have been historically. But that was never going to be the case because there's two factions in this state and uh, USM, I don't really count here. There's two strong factions in this state. That was never going to happen. Ryan Wiggins at RZ Wig, they say that Tisdale fits Rich Rod's offense. You said that. David said that. And I don't dispute it because he covers recruiting better than anybody. And he's written stories about Grant Tisdale, who has talked about Rich Rod's offense. Anyway, does he end up starting the game next year? Do they stick with Corral? No, Matt Corral's offense. This is his. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and I mean, you know, the, the, this reader is probably going back to the, the story uh, where Grant Tisdale said, look, man, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm not coming in to spring practice to work to be Matt Corral's number two guy. I'm coming in to win that starting job with all due respect to Matt Corral. Look, that's what you want your incoming quarterback's attitude to be. You know, and and honestly, you cover enough of these quarterbacks, most of their attitudes are just like that. They all uh they all think they're going to be the guy. Uh nobody's going to anybody's school to be the backup. Ask Jordan Tomu about that. But um yeah, Matt Corral, this is his offense. There's no doubt about it. He's he, he's ready. He's he's going to be more ready than Grant Tisdale. Um, 
But, uh, you know, you want a guy like Grant Tisdale who's not coming in here to go, well, yeah, I'm coming in here, man. Hopefully I'll be the number two behind Matt. And, you know, when Matt gets through here, uh, it'll be my offense and I'm willing to wait. That's not Grant Tisdale. I can tell you that. Grant, and then let me tell you something. Grant Tisdale is as valuable of an asset mentally as he is physically. This is a sharp kid. He's not going to have any trouble grasping Rich Rod's offensive concepts. He's not going to have any trouble making his reads out there. And he's lightning in a bottle when it comes improvisation time on the football field. You watch his highlights at Allen, and when something's not there downfield, I mean, he turns into a running back very, very quickly. He's he, he's he's going to be exciting, and he he is. I'm telling you, if you'd have told me eight months ago when Grant Tisdale committed to Ole Miss that Rich Rodriguez was going to be his offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, I would have been very, very excited because you go back and watch Rich Rod's former quarterbacks at every place he's ever been, Grant Tisdale. Man, you couldn't you couldn't make him in a laboratory, I think, any better uh, for Rich Rodriguez's offense. Now, that has nothing to do with Matt Corral whatsoever. Matt Corral is a former Army All-American, a four-star quarterback, and Ole Miss is very fortunate to have him. I fully expect Matt Corral uh, to, to solidify himself as a starter in the spring. But Grant Tisdale, he's coming in with the right attitude. It's the holiday season, and now is the time, if ever, to go get a new car. Alan Samuels, Carcer Dodge, Jeep Ram of Oxford is the place to go. And they've got deals going, year-end deals, clearance for those of you out there looking for your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Also, a commercial truck sale for you business owners. They're loaded up with Jeep Wranglers, Grand Cherokees, and Cherokees all priced to move right now. So make sure you're taking advantage of this unique opportunity, holiday end-of-the-year opportunity with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. But simply buying a new car is not the only service that Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram provides. If you're having some car trouble, if you need some advice, go visit them. Brian, Mason, ask for them. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you, and they're going to make sure that you're taken care of. Addressing each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. You can give them a call at 662-234-8000. That's 662-234-8000. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. It's deal time in the holiday season. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. At OM Hoops HQ, do you think the Ole Miss fan base is lethargic? Lethargic? No. Lethargic is not how I would describe the Ole Miss fan base. Angry? Apathetic? Dismissive? Starving for something? Anything that would be described as success? But lethargic? No. They're not lethargic. No, and they yeah. they ate up both of Matt Luke's offseason coordinator hires. They're hungry. Hungry for something good, hungry for something to hang their hat on. And I think there's a little bit, they may not be ready to admit it yet, but I think there's a little bit of excitement now for the first time in, in quite some time about this Ole Miss football program in relation to these coordinator hires. But hires of coaches are fleeting moments. Um, I think where you can keep the momentum and build on it is through recruiting. And the last dip into recruiting didn't go particularly well on the early signing period date. So February would be a good opportunity to swing something, whatever that might be, John Reese Plumley, Byron Young, I don't know, but to add some talent that fans can get behind, and then you can start to build it more so than through coordinator hires. But, yeah, you're right. There is a little bit more uh, of a turn toward – or maybe it's like in The Godfather, you know. I keep trying to – get out, but they pull me back in kind of thing. But lethargic, no, they're just starved for success. And that's why 
Um, you've seen such a passionate reaction to things because Ole Miss fans have been beaten down for six years and they deserve something good uh, from a program that hasn't loved it back, loved them back for so long. Has it been six years, Ben? Well, I'm don't spe- dig the hole deeper than it than it is. I'm speaking. I'm speaking of the NCAA investigation. Now there was success on the field, but once it turned bad, when you knew it inevitably would, with all the NCAA stuff, it got really bad really quickly. So it hadn't been bad, but for what three years? Um, yeah, yeah. Three years ago, uh, Ole Miss fans were celebrating a, a big win over Oklahoma State in the Sugar Bowl. So three years, but. Six years of not even being able to enjoy, like truly enjoy to the extent you would otherwise be able to, a sugar bowl because of all the off the field stuff. So just yeah, to, I think there's cloud. I think they're starved for normalcy more than anything else. For it not to be a complete crazy town around here. Uh yeah, I'm I'm with them on that. I'm with them. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 ready for that return to normalcy too. At Jerome underscore Billy, what was your favorite mean gene memory? Mine was when he interviewed Hulk Hogan after Hulk Hogan turned heel with the NWO, standing there with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and all these trash debris and stuff were being thrown onto uh, the mat in front of him. And he did a tremendous job of just standing there and displaying the disgust of all wrestling fans that Hulk Hogan was turning heel. You know, it was was Hulk Hogan. He was the greatest hero in wrestling. And now he was becoming a villain and people were – understandably disgusted and he displayed that but also with that perfect um interview just persona that he carried in that voice he just had a it was just an awesome moment it was so much fun tbs ruined me as a child it it turned me into an atlanta braves fan an atlanta falcons fan an atlanta hawks fan and a mr wrestling two fan so that's all i got on 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 Mean Gene. Or anytime Mean Gene interviewed Andre the Giant. I just thought it was the coolest thing. Well, anytime Andre stepped in front of the camera, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's like, good gosh, you got to be kidding me. He was larger than life in so many ways. And when, it, but the thing is, is Andre the Giant being that larger than life, he didn't seem larger than Mean Gene because Mean Gene was the best there ever was at his job. And it was, it was a tough day as far as celebrity deaths. With yeah. G- I mean, there's just oh man, it was a it's well a the, rule the of cap- three kind of thing. The captain died from Captain and Tennille, and I have memories of my parents making me watch that as a very very young child back in the 1970s. Um, that was that was bad, and then we lost uh, Super Dave Osborne. That's what I was about uh, to say. I mean, like I love David Letterman and Super Dave. Not uh, it's just what a, what a crappy day. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a tough day right there for sure, and. Um, 2018 sucked so much, but 2019 said, you know what? This isn't going to stop on the first day, the first two days of 2019. I'm giving you this. So thanks, 2019. This is is a great way to start it off. At Jerome underscore Billy, did the election go the way Rebel Rags needed it to? Do we have an updated timeline? It did. Judge Kelly Luther retained his judgeship. Um, But the, the latest significant development will be the motion to dismiss is coming in mid-January, and that's on the part of the NCAA. I think it's the third motion to dismiss. Once that ruling is made, it'll determine whether or not the case moves forward. But there's not a really updated timeline. It's all about delay, delay, delay. And at this point with Rebel, the Rebel Rack stuff, um, you just might as well put it in the back of your mind until something significant happens. As with court cases such as these, 
it's going to drag on forever, seemingly, at least if the NCAA can have it uh, have it its, its way. It's going to drag it on as long as possible. So I don't think there's really any true update right now other than that motion to dismiss, which will be coming, I think, mid-January, like January 15th or 16th. At Kyle Varell, other than Hogland, which newcomer in baseball has the biggest impact in the coming year? I think Doug Nikhazy in the bullpen. you got to remember, one of Houston Roth, Jordan Fowler, maybe a Greer Holston, maybe two of them will be starting in the weekend rotation. So if that happens, I assume it will be Houston Roth, probably on Saturdays. They're going to need somebody to step into that role as a valuable member of the bullpen. Their bullpen's going to be strong regardless uh, of a uh, Houston Roth going to the weekend rotation, but you need somebody to step up and just eat some innings. I think Doug Nikhazy has the potential to not only eat innings, but really be a weapon in the back end of the bullpen, especially throwing from the left side. So Doug Nikhazy makes the most sense to me. You can't really count him as such, but Anthony Servideo is a sophomore. He got limited playing time last year. I think he's going to start at second base and, and potentially lead off. So I know he's not a newcomer, but because of how significantly his playing time could potentially jump, he'll effectively have the same type uh, of impact. I think Anthony Servideo could end up being uh, one of the most valuable players for Ole Miss baseball in 2019. Don't, Kyle, don't, don't, don't move on just yet. I got, okay. I got a question for you. Any, any possible tweaks to, to the powder blue baseball unis this year? And I, look, I love them. I mean, but any chance we could see some kind of slight redesign on the powder blues? You heard anything in that, on, on that front? I have not, but uniform changes are always under consideration, especially in baseball, at least minor tweaks. The one thing that will never be changed is the pinstripes. That's a personal favorite of Mike Bianco's, and he likes those the way they are. But I do think they're always trying to um, work with the powder blues to kind of find the right balance of what they're looking for, but also providing that nostalgic feel that those powder blues bring about. So I I haven't heard that, but I'm assuming that there's always consideration as far as the jerseys, especially the the powder blue ones. At Kyle Varell, what's the biggest news you knew about before it broke in your career? A certain phone call for a certain former Ole Miss head coach? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there are several of us that could say that. Um, but um, <clears throat> that's – I don't know. You'd have to, I'd have to have almost to reflect. Yeah. yeah. Got to give that a little thought. But that's, that's the same exact thing pops into my mind uh, that – you just said there. Yeah, I'll never forget where I was when I first learned about it or first got confirmation about it, which was at SEC Media Days um, that year. And a couple of days later, Hugh Freeze was fired. And I remember I was in a musical with my brother and my father in yeah, Memphis at yeah. the Lander Center when the news broke. And I was I was needing to come back to Oxford, but it was a mandatory rehearsal and I couldn't go anywhere and I didn't have my computer. So the helplessness I felt... All right. Uh, speaking of musicals, man, I, I got to tell you what I did last night. I oh. watched the Jersey Boys, which is now on uh, Netflix. Terrible movie. Awesome musical. Uh, oh, my God. I, I, I mean, look, and then, you know, now I've been listening to uh, the four seasons now for about the last 10 hours, uh, which uh, one of my all time favorite songs. Uh, oh, what a night. Um, that's always been one of my favorites. I wasn't so much into the Sherry stuff and all that all that kind of 60s stuff ever. But uh, but I thought it was a pretty decent movie. Uh, I really did. I love the music. The music was very entertaining. Have you ever seen the show? Uh, no, I don't think so. See, I, it's one of my favorite shows I've ever been to live, and I saw it in New York on Broadway. 
and Jersey Boys was it was an out of body experience with how well, awesome it, it was. See, Jersey Boys, the production, the Broadway production was here in Oxford last fall, and I wanted to go. And honestly, there was something going on with Ole Miss football that night. We had tickets. My wife went. I was not able to go, and now I'm kicking myself because I really wanted to go and see that. When you see the musical, it's hard to like the movie because it just doesn't translate the same way. But still, there are things to enjoy about the movie. But yeah, Jersey Boys is awesome. It's just it's awesome. At Kyle Varell, what are the odds we get to see our Braves win a World Series again in our lifetime? Well, I, I think as long as Ronald Acuna is on the roster, they're always going to be there, always going to be contending. And with all the young talent, I'd say the odds are 25 to 1 right now. That's what I feel like right now. Who caught the last out in the 95 World Series when the Braves beat the Indians? Who squeezed the glove around the last out? Oh, my God. Oh, you put me on the spot this morning. David Justice. David Justice, yeah. yeah. You remember when David Justice made his comments um, in the newspaper and they, they were kind of not in the best of light for Braves Nation and Braves fans turned on David Justice? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, I mean, David Justice was one of my favorite players ever, and it's kind of appropriate. He caught the last out, but I'll never forget his tenure as the Braves' right fielder and, and kind of the reaction to him because he had the gall to say something himself and of his own opinion that kind of ruined how fans thought of him, but like one of the greatest Braves ever, and yet he doesn't get the just due that he deserves. No pun intended there. Right up there with Brian Hunter. Everyone in the East, I kid, I kid. Everyone in the East making moves other than the Marlins, Cavarell says, going to be tough next year, in my opinion. Yeah, it'll be tougher. It'll be a tougher, but no one's better suited for continued success or consistent success over the course of the next five years than the Braves because of all their young talent. Cole Woods at Cole Miss twenty two. Who is Joe McCoy blaming for JD's loss to Florida in the Peach Bowl? Joe McCoy. This is a reference to Friday Night Lights, the television show, one of my favorite shows ever. Joe McCoy being. Sean Patterson Sr. and J.D. McCoy being Sean pa- uh, Shay Patterson. I almost forgot Shay Patterson's name for a second there. I'm having problems this morning anyway. Um, who is Joe McCoy blaming for J.D.'s loss to Florida in the Peach Bowl? Anybody but Shay? That's his M.O. David can't speak on this. So uh, well, I, 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 talked to, uh, I talked to Shay's dad early December. Mid-December, um, very, very nice, amicable conversation. Invited me to come to Atlanta and watch the Peach Bowl, which I did. Needless to say, I did not. What? But, uh, but uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a Shea Patterson fan. I have been since the kid was 14 years old. And uh, I, I wish him well. And um, next question. But I can laugh when he opts to return for a senior season, which, bully for him, awesome. But then the hashtag... Those who stay, I'm never going to begrudge a kid for transferring or doing what he feels is best for his future, but it's the way in which he left. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But, I mean, are you kidding me? People out there who get on kids for transferring? No, it's not about the transferring. It's the hashtag, no. those who stay. Come on, you that, didn't that, stay in the right. same place for further than two years since he was in seventh grade. That's, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. But but the thing you got to remember, and I know it's hard to, when we look at things through red and blue glasses or maroon and white glasses or whatever freaking crimson and white glasses, whatever color glasses you look at at your program, uh, we, we all like to have this romantic notion about what it is that we give so much of our lives to and, and so much of our passion to but this is the most uh, mercenary like business in america 
Yeah, I mean, players do what's best for them. They're a one-man business. That's what coaches, coaches do what's best for them. Athletic directors do what's best in their personal interest, and that is the bottom line. And if you're telling yourself it's anything different, um, you're wrong. So yeah, I got some beachfront property in Oxford, Mississippi. A, a, exactly. So when a kid decides it's not right for me to be here any longer, by God, God bless you. And, and go to where it's right to be because I promise you, your head coach that's making millions of dollars a year is going to do the damn thing that's in his best interest. I promise you that. So will your coordinators. So will everybody who tells you welcome to the family. That's just the nature of the beast, and it's nothing more, nothing less. That's what college football is today. Just don't leave like Shea Patterson, and no one's going to begrudge you for leaving. Just yeah. don't leave like that. That's, that's you, awesome. you, you can walk out on your wife with a little class, you know. <laughs> Have some class. You know what I'm saying? I mean, have class in everything you do. At B.W. Smith 3, my buddy B.J. Smith, on an Ole Miss-related note, predictions for the rest of basketball season. Do either or both teams make postseason play? And if so, do you see a deep run? Is both teams, is he talking about the women? I guess so. Lord have mercy. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, Ole Miss men's basketball, however, 10-2, and entering league play, open SEC play at Vanderbilt on Saturday. Currently projected by Ken Palm to go 7-11 in the conference. 7-11 obviously wouldn't get it done. But I think Ole Miss is a little better than 7-11. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you go 9-9 in the conference and you mix in somehow a non-conference win over Iowa State, that gets you to 20 wins. And it has to be the right nine in the SEC. But, and you probably still go to the SEC tournament need to win, needing to win at least one to get in. But at least in that scenario, you will be strongly on the bubble. And depending on the nine wins you have in the league, could build a pretty solid, if not really strong, NCAA tournament resume. It's still a tall order. And the game at Vanderbilt Saturday is critical. Because then you return home and play Auburn, who's one of the best teams in the SEC this year. But I think Ole Miss is going to have a real shot um, and going to build a really strong case. It all depends on how the post holds up for Ole Miss. That's been the glaring weakness. Dominic Olenicek has had a really good year. He's improved every single month. But can he sustain it? And he hasn't faced the post players he's going to face in the SEC. The SEC is really strong with bigs this year. And Dominic Olenicek has to be good because Bruce Stevens has proven he cannot defend anybody. Dom can defend, but can he bring enough offensively? Can Terrence Davis, who's been really consistent, uh, think scored 15 points or more in six of his last seven games. Devontae Shuler has been not only consistent as far as his minutes played, but impacting the box score up and down. Brian Tyree has played to an all-caliber, all-league caliber level so far. But can you sustain it? It's going to be hard, but I think Ole Miss, at the very least, will make the NIT if it continues on its current trajectory. But going to really have a chance to make the the NCAA tournament. Still a tall, tall task. The SEC, though not as strong as many thought it would be, still strong. It's going to be tough, but I think Ole Miss will shoot it shot. And I said I said yeah. six months ago I yeah. thought Kermit was going to take them to the dance. I'm going to sink or swim with that. As far as the women it, go, no, you said it tongue in cheek. I did say it a little tongue in cheek right there, but but I'm going to sink and swim with that one. Um, as far as the women go, look, if you're looking for a litmus test on whether or not this has been a successful season for the Ole Miss women and Coach Yo in her first year in Oxford, four or more wins in conference play would be a gigantic accomplishment with the squad that she had to hastily assemble. Uh, there, there's not going to be any postseason play for these women. Um, 
you know, that that's not going to happen. But if she can win four inside the Southeastern Conference in the conditions she took this job in, uh, I think there are brighter days ahead. No doubt about it. Also, expectations with new football coaching additions. All eyes on Calvin McGee. The only opening right now is Mo Harris. I think Derek Nix, as of today, is secure and, and will return. That's of today. It could change tomorrow. Um, the only other coach I think right now to watch would be Jason Jones, if anything happens with him. Also, does Neil Brown, for example, get West Virginia? If he does, John Sumrall becomes a candidate to go be his defensive coordinator at West Virginia. So those are the names to watch. But right now, all eyes on Calvin McGee and whether or not he does end yep. up becoming Ole Miss's tight ends coach. At BW Smith 3, chips or pretzels? I hate pretzels. Chips. Yeah, I don't like either one. I, I, I'm with the tortillas, uh, the tortilla corn chips on that. Potato chips, uh, I, I'm, I'm a type 2 diabetic, so I try to stay away from potato chips. But I can eat corn chips, so I'm a corn chip guy. Jalapeno chips are my be- my favorite thing. I Coach love Bates, at bro Brandon Bates, what would be the best case scenario on signing day? I know you're out of recruitment, Ben, but I had to ask. Well, David Johnson is not out of recruitment, so what's the best case scenario on signing day? Mm, great question. Uh, um <laughs> that is a great question. I, I think it would start off by you got to keep those guys in this class that we talked about. Uh, you know, you sign Jonathan Mingo. Um, you're going to you're going to have to uh, you're going to want to get a signature, whether it means anything or not, from Jerry Ely. Um, it would be great if Caleb Etienne, who I, I'm telling you, we haven't talked a whole lot about Caleb because there's been that caveat of will he qualify, will he not qualify. If they're confident enough that he's going to be able to push push it across the goal line on the academic side, uh, side of things, then you go ahead and add Caleb Etienne to this class because it's 6'6", 306 pounds. He's a, he's a raw guy, but but I think he's got a, a you know a big-time uh, ceiling, um, you know, if, if you will. So, uh, you know, I think that's that's where you start off with. That's 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 what you what you want to have. Uh, O.C. Brothers, the, the uh, linebacker, D. Lyman guy who I will have something out, hopefully, as long as he answers his phone uh, up on the front page uh, on Thursday on his recruitment. Uh, he would be another guy. Um, of course, then you look in in terms of the of the in-state guys, um, you know, and, and this has been the. Uh, the cycle of, of Mississippi made, and that didn't play so well during the uh, December early signing period. But, uh, you know, you're, you're hearing some chatter out there about Nathan Pickering. Look, I, I, you're going to hear the chatter. There's nothing I can do about that. Nathan Pickering's not coming to Ole Miss. Okay, so uh, I wouldn't get too excited about any of that. Byron Young, uh, he's committed to Alabama. Uh, yeah, you know, he's still kind of kicking around out there a little bit. There's a little bit of there there, but but just use common sense. That's going to be a tall task right there for Ole Miss to flip him from from Alabama. They they couldn't flip Brandon Turnage from Alabama. He was right here at Lafayette High School. Uh, you know, I think that's somebody that that you look at going into uh, into this signing period. But it, but it's pretty much just about you know you know you want to finish strong. Jamon Gordon down at Meridian, who decommitted from Auburn, did not sign in December. I think there's a pretty good shot he ends up in this class. Keep an eye on Zach Edwards, uh, the linebacker slash. DN at Starkville that uh, was committed to Memphis, opened things back up. He has not signed yet. Uh, some uh, some some talk about some off the field happenings with Edwards that uh, has kind of kind of had the the bigger schools at arm's length with him. But but I, I think it's kind of being rationalized down to uh, to something that's going to be acceptable moving forward. Uh, so uh, you know.
know, whether or not Ole Miss makes a move on him or not, that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. But but a lot of different storylines, and it's something you brought up, uh, you know, about the transfer market. I think that's something we keep an eye on. But remember, that might not necessarily play out uh, – you know, perpendicular to to the February national signing period. Transfers uh, very often uh, they don't settle until March, April, May as to where they're going to end up. But uh, but I think that's worth watching as well. At McCrane Darby, Ben, can someone find out what Matt Corral's stance is on the Rich Rodriguez hire? Certainly, but in regards to interviewing players, we're at the mercy of the Ole Miss Sports Information Department, and Corral has and it won't be made available anytime soon. So it might not be until the spring till we find Le- out. Late February at the earliest. Yeah, that's just how it works. We're at the mercy of the Ole Miss Sports Information Department. At Gunboat Dave, where do y'all project the Ole Miss total offense and total defense to finish in the SEC West next year? Well, offense is going to take a step back inevitably. It has to. So if it was top three, I would say top seven, top six. But yeah, defense – you'd be hard-pressed to do any worse than last year. So I think they will do better than 14th in the league. It's not a lot to go on, but if you're making me project in January, on January 3, that's what I'm saying. I'd say 5 and 10. 5 for the offense, 10 for the defense. If uh, if those numbers hold up, uh, it might can get you to six wins in Birmingham. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. I don't know how or when it just seemed to happen. I've outgrown the whole college t-shirt thing, but I still want to wear my school colors and not just on game day. And that's why I roll with Peter Millar's collegiate polos. These collegiate polos are really well made. The material is super high quality and feels amazing on the skin. Plus, they've got all the performance benefits I enjoy, like four-way stretch, moisture wicking, and sun protection, so I can be the most comfortable and stylish guy in the stadium and out. And since it's Peter Millar, these polos are great for business casual look at the office, Peter Millar's Collegiate Collection features apparel for over 100 different schools, so whether you're representing your school at the tailgate or in the office, you can be sure to be repping them the right way. And most schools offer women's and youth options, too. So head over to petermillar.com champions right now to check out some of my personal favorites. Be sure to use my link, and you'll receive complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's petermillar, M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash champions. petermillar.com slash champions. Look your best, petermillar.com. At HMAN478, what do you think about the Braves' moves so far? Who do you think fills the void in the outfield, and do you think we get an ace-like pitcher? Um, I love Josh Donaldson. For the money, I like Brian McCann, but they've been awfully quiet for two months, only making one move in December. So as far as who fills the outfield void, only, only Ronald Acuna and Ender Enciarte on the roster. It's not going to be Adam Duvall. I think ultimately what ends up happening is they sign or trade for someone that can, in effect, platoon with Adam Duvall. I think having any high expectations right now for the acquisition would be silly. Though I do think that there is a way in which A.J. Pollock becomes viable for the Braves um, should his contract demands get down to at least three years. I think if if you can get A.J. Pollock for three years at 15 per, the Braves would do that. Um, I don't think they're going to get any type of meaningful rotation acquisition until the trade deadline in July, be it Madison Bumgarner or someone like that. It's just not a great market outside of Corey Kluber for the Braves to go out there and attack that need. And I don't think that the Indians are really all that motivated anymore to trade Corey Kluber. At RebelFan68, why are there no more one- to two-year contracts instead of four- to five for college coaches with as much turnaround there is in college football? That's just the going right now. 
Yeah, it's, it's part of the agent twist on the, on the uh, administrators. Uh, I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, it's a nomadic business. Uh, everybody knows the, you know, day one of taking a job is the, you're one day closer to getting fired in, in this business. And, you know, they're negotiating for cushions. It is a bubble that I think is going to burst. I, I mean, I, I, these coaching salaries are absolutely ridiculous. They're, they're, they're outrageous. Uh, you know, I, I got a kid right now who's thinking about life after football and what he's going to do. And he's, he's going to, he's going to get into college coaching and why not you get into college coaching. You can be a multimillionaire by the time you're 31, 32 years old, if things break right for you. Uh, but you know, will the market continue to support this, man? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, a college football championship game, national championship game, not to change subject here, it's going to be played out on the West Coast where the interest in football certainly isn't as big as uh, what it is in this part of the country. And Ben, they're having trouble selling tickets to the national title game. That's crazy. It's fatigue, though. No one wants to see the same two teams every single year. But I don't, I don't know if it's if it's really fatigue. I really don't. I mean, number one, how smart is it to play your national championship game with a 5 p.m. local kickoff on a Monday frickin' afternoon in California? I mean, I mean, don't you want that game where the where the passion is the highest, where 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 it means the most? I mean, I, I tell you what. I mean, I, I don't think it's a big deal out there in California where they're playing that game. It would be in Atlanta, Georgia. It Here's my deal. You have to expand eight teams. It has nothing to do with eight teams being deserving, blah, 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 blah. If the end result's inevitably going to be the same every single year, at least add the facade of well, intrigue well, of parity. Because what? right now, it's the same result every single year, so just give me more games. Because the postseason is currently constructed in college football is far and away the very worst of all the major sports. Oh, it is terrible. It's and, terrible. And look, when you're talking talking about going to eight teams why not do 24 teams why not do it like like an nfl or division two or fcs it's the only football postseason that doesn't utilize the playoffs it is absolutely archaic and ridiculous it is only it's only done this way to line the pockets of university administrators and ncaa administrators that's right and conference executives i mean i don't know why fans even align with these people. They have proven that they don't give a crap about you. They only care about the money going into their own pockets. And at the end of the day, don't you just want to be entertained by the postseason? Is anybody entertained by this? All right, listen, listen, hear me out here. I have long been a proponent of a 24-team playoff, okay, where you seed these teams, one through 24, and your top eight. But that'll never happen. That'll never happen. Listen, listen, top eight gets a first-round bye. Okay, so you're going to have nine playing 24, 10 playing 23, so on and so on. Higher seed gets to host. I don't care what you call it. Call it the Cheez-It Bowl. That, that's a, the bowl games have gotten that ridiculous. We had a Cheez-It Bowl. The Red Box Bowl. Here. The, the freaking Red Box Bowl. Okay. All right. So, and, and, and you know, the, the thing of it is, they'll, they'll quickly tell you, well, that would be too hard on the student athletes. Look, let me, let me tell you something. They don't give a rat's ass about what's hard no. on the student athletes when no. it comes to that money. The reason you're not going to see a major, expansive college football playoff field like that is because somebody's cookie's going to get eat, eaten into when, in regards to, uh, to, to television money with the NFL and things like that. So, you know, everybody's happy right now because everybody's getting their own little piece of the pie. And like everything else in this world, it comes down to the almighty 
almighty dollar at the end of things. I mean, high school teams play playoffs and multi-round playoffs, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, you know uh, blow up their academic careers. Division two teams, one uh, double A teams. Mike Leach had a great spill on this just a couple of weeks ago. If you can go back and find that video, where, where you know. You know He's in agreement. What the hell are they doing picking four teams? Let's have a real playoff. Can you imagine the excitement every Saturday in December and you wake up and it's first round of the college playoffs, second round of the college playoffs, third round of the college playoffs? Oh, my God. It'd be But it's not weird. about what the fans want. It's about executives making money for their specific conferences. Like Greg Sankey has no interest in in a UCF being involved in a college football playoff. He Correct. wants what can allow his member institutions to get the most bang for their buck. That's a four-team playoff that will more likely than not usually get two teams in every single year. Would have this year had Georgia not lost two games, only lost one. That's what Greg Sankey wants. So the fan, they don't care about you. Stop defending the system because it's inexcusable. It's inexplicable. So to defend it is dumb. And if the end result, again, is always going to be the same, at least add the facade of intrigue and parody. So I would love to see, for example, like Dan Wetzel so clearly and wonderfully laid out weeks ago, eliminate the conference championship games. They're meaningless. But if the first week of the playoff, which are, you know, a home game, another home game for an Alabama hosting a UCF in the first round rather than the SEC championship game, which only makes money for the SEC and nobody else, then that would be far more interesting, would it not, than a meaningless exhibition game between Georgia and Alabama? Give me UCF and Alabama in the first round. Eliminate the championship games. If you try to explain the college football postseason to someone from another country who knew nothing about college football and was coming over and said, okay, explain to me what the BCS was. Explain to me why you have four teams. Like going into championship game weekend, Okay, if Pittsburgh and Clemson are playing, if Pittsburgh wins, they play for the national championship? No, no, it doesn't really matter if they win or lose. Okay, so if Clemson loses, they're, they're going to get left out of the playoff, right? No, no, if they lose, they're still going to be in it. Well, uh, and again, the more teams involved in the playoffs, the more exciting the fans are. That's what makes March Madness so special. Even if Alabama's still going to win, at least let me see it, a UCF get its shot. That's all I'm saying. Now, we're missing a lot of good football with the way they're doing it right now, and they're putting on a lot of terrible football and some terrible. meaningless games. Look, when we were kids growing up, I didn't care who was in the Sugar Bowl. That was a big game. It meant something. Come on, Texas and Georgia, I mean, you know, a good matchup that we all wanted to watch, but it meant absolutely nothing. nothing. Nobody cares that they brought home a trophy. And, and people that are all concerned about players not playing in the postseason, saying they're selfish, they're not selfish. It's, it's They're a one-man business. They're looking Amen. out for themselves. Good for them. But Amen. here's the thing. You want those players to play? You think Georgia players would have sat out had they no doubt been one of the top eight teams in the playoff? You think any of those players would have sat out? Nope. Nope, they would have played because They'd you're still play. playing for something. LSU, and, 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 same thing. Excellent point right there. You know, Don't begrudge a guy who doesn't play in his bowl game. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got an opportunity for generational wealth is weeks away from signing that piece of paper that is going to give him and his family generational wealth. And you're going to go out there and play in a college bowl game. And if he goes out there and blows his knee out in the first quarter, you know what the response is going to be by, you know, for the, from the people that he's playing it for. Oh, geez. Oh, shucks. Too bad for him. Let's go. Yeah, it's on to the next every on single year. On to the year. next man. Next man up. Next man up. College next fan bases up. are not about. No. Who played for me yesterday? 
No. Who's playing no, for I mean, me tomorrow? God blows his knee out, knee out, final game of his career, costs him an NFL contract, uh, comes back 10 years later, and you know maybe a few people up in the stands are going to remember that, and uh, it's going to be all shucks. Too bad for him. At RebelFan68, was Chad Kelly lightning in a bottle like Manziel, Winston, Newton that we failed to fully capitalize on? Well, they were a win away, a fluky fourth and 25 away from playing for an SEC championship, but I don't really think they – wasted him or didn't no. fully capitalize on him and, and you can't predict injuries so well if you want to look at chad kelly's career in all honesty and um you know begrudge he was lightning in a bottle this, but, but but hugh freeze got got he he milled chad kelly pretty good he 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 pretty much got everything out of chad kelly yeah it wasn't chad kelly's fault that they didn't play for an sec championship you've walked this path many times before it's a chance to think especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. Rebel fan 68 again. Will Franco Miller play this season? If so, what should we expect out of him? Uh, I don't think he's playing this year. At, at this point, I, I think he's going to be sidelined for the whole year. Now, he very well could come back because I don't think it's an injury that should be keeping him off the court so long, but he's just been so discomforted in his knee that they don't want to push him and put him on the fi- on the court, on the field, on the court if they don't have to. He arrived at Ole Miss with a pre-existing knee injury, and they've tried to – work it and fix it and monitor it. He just hasn't felt comfortable, and they're not going to put him out there when they don't have to in order to just get, what, eight minutes a game out of him? They're not going to do that. They can make up for that with plenty of people. But now they'd love to have Franco Miller, but as far as playing this season, initially he was expected back in December. Then it was early January. At this point, I don't think he's playing. John Austin Berry at J.A. Berry 5. Oh, gosh. If players are paid to play college sports, who pays them? Is payment salary commission? Each sport paid the same. Each university and country paid the same. Community colleges included. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I'm not paid to know how to figure that out. There are people that are paid millions upon millions of dollars to figure these types of things out. I wish I had the perfect answer for you. I don't. All I know right now is that the system is broken. I'm just like you, man. I'm not a decision maker here. I'm not actively involved, and I'm not one to provide solutions for the biggest problem in college football. But I do know this. Players deserve to be compensated fairly because the money that they otherwise would be paid in a free market are going into the pockets of their coaches and the administrators and the NCAA. So uh, I, I, I don't know the answers to those questions, but I'm not the one paid millions of dollars to figure that out. I am but an Ole Miss beat reporter. <laughs> so I don't well, know. And the counter argument to that is, well, they're getting a free education and that ought to be worth something. They're being fed. They're being housed. But but the whole problem with that is, and it's, ben, not their fair market value. Out, it's not their fair market value. There are people 
people all around them that are getting filthy rich off of their sweat and their brow. And yes, I understand they're getting because more benefits the labor than the market, average college student, but you know, because come the on. labor market's money making potential is suppressed or all but non-existent. Well, and, and, you know, it would be a dynamic shift because as soon as the NCAA admits that players are employees, then they're going to unionize and, and you're going to have this whole system is going to be flipped up on its ear. And I, I'm not so sure it shouldn't be. I'll just no, be I'm, honest. I 100% should be. Let's I, not I, pretend like these kids, you don't care about these kids for any other reason than they play the sport that you love. That's right. And the second they can't play it. The people who are who are tweeting at them and, and loving up on them could could give a rat's butt about them. Yeah. As, as soon as they're finished, as soon as you're finished with the university, uh, the fan base is pretty much finished with you in a lot of cases. Unless you go on to NFL glory, which everybody likes to attach themselves to. Nothing turns capitalist into socialist like paying players in college football. At yep. Drew Gray at UM. Which Ole Miss backcourt member has the best NBA shot potential? Well, Terrence Davis, he actually had the ability to go to the NBA last offseason, as I reported and broke that news, um, that Terrence Davis was considering it, and he went through the process, and he actually interviewed with Danny Ainge, the general manager of the Boston Celtics. Now, Brian Tyree has put himself on the map um, as a shooter, but still there are limitations to his game that won't provide him an NBA shot, but he's going to have a great career overseas whenever his Ole Miss days are done. Devontae Shuler, he's not an NBA player. He's going to be a great college player as he's already becoming and already playing to the level of, but he doesn't have the NBA game that you look for. Terrence Davis has all those things. Has he tapped into that potential on a consistent basis? No, but he's the one with the best potential. Randall Woods, has Talk of Champions finally cut ties permanently with Rebel Sports Radio? Yes. Will the Rebel Yell hotline still be available on Rebel Sports Radio? Could you upload it to iTunes? Rebel Sports Radio is no more. So if you're wanting to look for Talk of Champions or the Rebel Yell hotline, I'm uploading them both to SoundCloud, which is the Talk of Champions SoundCloud. So simply search Talk of Champions. So Rebel Yell hotline, it'll be indicated as such in the iTunes page, but it'll be on the Talk of Champions page, but you'll see Rebel Yo Hotline every single week. So while it'll be on the Talk of Champions page in SoundCloud and also on iTunes, Rebel Yo Hotline will be there for you. Um, and, and SoundCloud has a free app that you can download to check out all of our shows. Randall Woods at Oak Grove Reb. What would a first-year Andy Kennedy's record be right now? Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, let's not forget that Andy Kennedy won 20 games seemingly every single year outside of major injury years. So... Uh, I don't know, 18, 19 wins. So probably would have won eight, nine games in his first year. I mean, that's if, if you want to go by past history. Now, if you want to go by recency in the last year of his career was the worst by far of any year. I don't know. But first year, probably eight, nine wins at this point. Maybe not 10. Maybe would have lost to a San Diego or somebody like that. At Greg's, Greg, Greg, have you finished the Harry Potter books yet? No, I haven't. Movies, all of them, multiple times. You've talked about them before. I have. I love Harry Potter. Oh, snap. What house would you see the big names on campus be? Ryan Olenek. Ryan Olenek would be a Slytherin. Brian Tyree, Slytherin. Matt Luke, Hufflepuff. Richie Contartesi would be a Gryffindor. Wait a Phyllis. minute. Wait a minute. Who would Matt be? Matt Luke? Well, Hufflepuff. I honestly don't know what the hell you're talking about here, but yeah, uh, that's well, he's okay. asking the, you're, I'm, I'm, you're not supposed to. That's why I was answering the Harry Potter questions for you. Step Go on. ahead. Go ahead. Phyllis from the back of the car that Forty saw. Actually, I saw Phil, the Phyllis story came from me, but Forty continues to um, tell that story about Phyllis. But Phyllis would probably be a Hufflepuff. 
Forrest Crumby at Forrest Crumby. Thoughts on Rich Rod and do Rebs basketball finish with 20 regular season wins? 20 is going to be hard. I think they finish with 18 or 19, but we've already given our thoughts on Rich Rod. It's a good hire. It's uh, We have full thoughts and reaction to Rich Rod on Monday's podcast. You want to check it out. At Greg's Greg Greg, what's y'all's working relationship with the guys over at Rebel Grove? It's fine. How do y'all know each other? We've worked around them forever. Chase has been a friend since college. We went to school together. I've known Chase, man, for 13 years now. Talk to him every day. Chase a good dude. John Barry at Ole Miss John. Hypothetical question, but do you think Norvell would resurface as a candidate again if Luke doesn't work out? No. I can definitively tell you, no, that will not happen. At Greg's Greg Greg, what do you think the final class ranking will be? Yeah, that's um, – <laughs> That's an interesting question. And, and, and number one, let me let me say it doesn't matter. It really does not matter. They're they're going to be somewhere in the twenties. I don't I don't think they're going to drop out of the twenties. They're number twenty three right now. Um, yeah, if I had to get give it a guess, I'm going to say right outside the top twenty five. At Greg's Greg Greg, the games left on Ole Miss's schedule for SEC play. What is your prediction for each game? Oh, we do not have the time for that. We do not have the time for that. But. As the season goes on, I will certainly preview those games on the Ole Miss Spirit, OleMissSpirit.com, as well as here on Talk of Champions. At Greg's Greg Greg. More stories about former coaches, like what was the real reason the NCAA stayed at Ole Miss for six years? Man, Greg, I think we've covered that one a lot. <laughs> we've covered that one a lot. I mean, the hubris of Hugh Freeze certainly didn't help. Um, also, the hubris of certain boosters didn't help. Um, but the NCAA stayed in Oxford for so long because they had a predetermined outcome in their minds and they were going to build a case come hell or high water and take as much time as they needed to build that case. But I think that the Mike Sheridan, Hugh Freeze one-on-one meeting certainly played into that a little bit, but Hugh Freeze set a match to the gas fire more than anything else. David has no contributions to this apparently. None at all. And last one at Ole Miss John, what do you think about getting David Hellman on his podcast, on the podcast, excuse me, during football season to discuss an LSU preview and talk a little Cowboys news? I think it would be a fun podcast. David's a great dude, um, and absolutely, I can do that. I've gotten him on the podcast a couple times before, and I'll most certainly get him on the podcast come next season. Might have him on here soon because the Cowboys, if they win on Saturday against the Seahawks, they won't. But if they do, I might get David on next week, so we'll see. But that's it for the Talk of Champions Mailbag Podcast. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's David Johnson at Rebels247. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com. That's affiliate of 247 Sports. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions. Subscribe there. You'll find both Talk of Champions and Rebel Yo Hotline. David, thank you, man. We'll talk next week. You lost me at Hufflepuff, man. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.